Our scripture reading this evening is taken from the book of Acts, beginning at chapter 18 and verse 18. Then we continue into chapter 19 to verse 10. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Sincrea because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail for Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and travelled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervour and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard them, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to look. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace have believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was Messiah. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, In what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was the baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about twelve men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Trans. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. It's about a fortnight ago, maybe it's three weeks, 
when Bloomfield took over a Fred Olson liner, cruise liner, I think there must have been about tw 10 or 12 of them. How many were there? Certainly double figures. 11. 11 of them. Can you imagine 11 Bloomfield locked in with them in a boat? Well, there we go. I, I haven't asked them how they, got, how they got on because, you know, if you ask somebody about their holidays, they can give you the short version or the long version. Now, tonight we have an account of Paul's journeys. And I would like to give you the long version, but there's so many things in this uh, passage that you're getting the short version. And the short version is, Paul was in Corinth. And he took the boat, and he went to Ephesus, and he stayed there for some months, and then he got another boat. So you've imagine the eastern. I thought of uh, doing a Malcolm and drawing a map here, and I thought, nah, uh, you, you all know it so well. He was from Corinth. This is the map from your view, not from mine. And he went across. I think it's the Ionian Sea through all those lovely islands, Santorini, etc., to Ephesus. He was there, and he ministered there, and then he left and went south and then east, uh, passing Cyprus and ending up in what's now Israel. He went up to Jerusalem, and then he went down, which actually on the map is up, it's all very confusing, to Antioch, where he uh, met the church that had sent him on his first missionary journey. And then he, by land, made his way further north and went sort of diagonally across uh, Turkey, northwest, and got back to Ephesus. Now, there's a, a couple of sermons in that, but you're not getting them tonight. What I want to highlight in this passage, we'll be returning to Paul. I'm sure uh, Philip will be focusing on when he's looking at the second half of chapter 19 on Paul and what went on in Ephesus. But tonight I want to focus on a couple of things, or rather a few of the lesser characters. And the, the, the first one, actually two we come to, is this a couple whom we usually refer to as Aquila and Priscilla, or the order is normally Priscilla and Aquila. Aquila was the man, the husband. His name means eagle. And he came from northern Turkey on the Black Sea coast. How's your geography? Are you staying up with me here, or are you totally lost? Well, now, some clever people at the back have got maps in their Bibles and they're looking at them. Okay. Uh, Aquila came from northern uh, Turkey. He married Priscilla. She's sometimes called Prissa or Prisca. And Prisca means fish. 
and Priscilla is a diminutive. It means fishy or sprick or wee fish. That's what the name means. Okay. Now, they sailed, we're told, with Paul to Ephesus and they stayed there. Verses 18 and 19. They're, they're an interesting couple. They're mentioned in four different passages in the scriptures. And from these we can build up a picture of this couple. Their background. Well, look at uh, Acts chapter 18, the first three verses. Okay? Uh, Paul left Athens, this was earlier, and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, I've already told you that, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because of because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave him. Now, uh, Claudius, the Roman governor, had expelled the Jews from Rome in 49 AD. And it's useful to know that because it's one of the few dates from secular history which enables us then working forwards and backwards to try and work out precisely when Paul's journey started and when they ended. You, you get the picture. So uh, they left when Claudius kicked out all the Jews from Rome. They went to Corinth. They set up shop there. And we read the next verse. They were, they had a leather uh, work business, making uh, tents and leather garments, that kind of thing. And Paul looked them out when he arrived in Corinth because he was a leather worker. Every Jewish rabbi had a trade so that they could live by their own hands. Something every minister should have a trade the Adley family if it wasn't for his earlier income to starve. But, uh, he had a trade which was leather work and he then sought out these people who were in the same trade. They took him in, gave him a job and he stayed with them. Okay? So uh, that tells us something about the use of their home. Right? They used their home to put up Paul in Corinth. When we get to verse 26 of this chapter, when Apollos arrives and preaches in the synagogue, Priscilla and Aquila, we're told, they take Apollos home. He was a great preacher. Boy, had he power. We'll come to that in a minute. But he wasn't entirely on the ball. So rather than denouncing him as being less than perfect in the content of his preaching, they took him aside, took him home, and gave him fuller instruction. They used their home in Corinth, looking after Paul, they used their home in Ephesus, teaching Apollos. And uh, 
later on in, in 1 Corinthians 16 and 19, we read, Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets in their home. Now, Paul was writing to the Corinthians from Ephesus a bit later than his travels here. And this tells us that Aquila and Priscilla had used their home in Ephesus as a place where the believers could meet. There were no specifically Christian churches, special buildings in those days. No special buildings. And so the Christian community met mainly in homes. And Priscilla and Aquila used their home. Where? Wherever they were. In Corinth, in Ephesus, and then if you look at, the, and why not look at this, uh, the, the last chapter of Romans, Romans 16, this is very interesting. Well, people like me find it very interesting, and I hope people like you do too. We don't often study Romans 16 because it's a list of names of people who send their meetings to the church at Rome. And what is it? not just a list of X, Y, Z, A, B, C, send greetings. But if you look at uh, the first names on the list, verse 3, Paul is now writing to Rome. And who has now turned up at Rome? Verse 3, you've guessed it, Priscilla and Aquila. What did they get about? They were in Rome. They were kicked out. They went to Corinth. Then Paul said, come with me. So they went to Ephesus. And now they're back in Rome. When Claudius died, he had expelled the Jews and Christians. Then after he died, they were able to go back to Rome. And look what it says in Rome. Well, uh, verse 5. Greet also the church that meets in their house. Here we have them again, using their home for Christian work. They, they must have been reasonably well off that they had a house relative, well, bigger than the average so that they could use it for Christian work. And note what else. He says, verse 3, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Now, fellow workers was a term used for other people in Christian work. It didn't mean they just worked with Paul. It meant they were they were fellow, they were in the ministry together. They risked their lives for me, and literally it is they risked their neck for me. And not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Now, to unpack that and look at other references takes too much time. I'm just sketching this in for you to look at this. They, they used their home in all these places to help uh, people and for the church to meet. Clearly, there was freedom of... We're thinking about freedom of movement now with Brexit. We don't want it. Uh, but... This was one of the short periods in European history when Rome ruled most of the then known 
part of Europe, and you could go anywhere. And didn't the Christians take advantage of it, taking the gospel to all parts? You couldn't do it now, but they were able to do it then. They were well versed in Christian teaching. They could, Apollos write, we'll come to him in a minute. They uh, used their, uh, they were prepared for sacrifice. They risked their neck for me. They, we often ask, why was, why is Priscilla more often than not? Occasionally the order is Aquila and, and Priscilla or Aquila and Prisca. Uh, but why is it that more often it's the woman first? And that's unusual in the literature of the time. And it may be that, that she had the money and, uh, and she had a higher social status and in those days social standing was important. And with a higher social status she would have had more clout. And maybe some people speculate don't know, it's just speculation. But when we get to the riot in Ephesus in the next study, maybe she was able to exercise a bit of influence with the magistrates. But that was risky. It was risky taking the side of the, of the Christians. Whatever that refers to, they risked their necks for other believers. Yeah. That raises questions about the way we use our homes, doesn't it? And what we're prepared to risk in society for the sake of other believers. Okay. That's one couple that I found fascinating as I was preparing this. and a lot to teach me. Now I move on to another character. You will have heard of him because we went to, we did a series on 1 Corinthians uh, recently. Apollos. Now we come across him back to uh, Acts chapter 18. I'm in Romans still. Back to Acts chapter 18. And uh, we're about uh, verse 24 and following. Paul leaves Antioch, verse 23, and verse 24. When he's away, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria. Now, Aquila came from northern Turkey. Apollos came from Alexandria. Now, where's Alexandria? Ale Egypt? It's at the mouth of the Nile. A very important center there. He came from Alexandria to Ephesus. Now, look at how he's described. First of all, he was a learned man. You see that? Many of the translations have elegant. And the issue is, the word means both learned, but also um, polished speaker. 
Um, I buy, uh, Ruth and I buy the papers once a week. That shows how wealthy we are. The rest of the time, you can go online, so why buy hard copy? But we buy uh, The Guardian and The Times on Saturday, and I get finished by about the following Wednesday. And the only tension in our family is who does the Sudoku's first. We'll get into that. Yesterday, The Guardian had an article on school debating. And it was arguing that school debating, it's diminishing. It's only the upper-class schools that now enter into debates. And yet it's saying, you know, debating increases oratorical skills, gives you clarity in argument, and if people were better trained in rhetoric, which is the old term, uh, you wouldn't get a lot of the nonsense spoken because they could be better prepared and people could analyze it better. Now, why am I telling you all that? I'm telling you all that because part of the ancient educational system included rhetoric. Rhetoric. And Apollos, he was learned and he was gifted in rhetoric, in presenting a case, if you like, in preaching. Then we read, he had, now the, the uh, NIV has, with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. Now that's not a very good translation. Some of you still love the authorized version, and the authorized version translates it literally, mighty in the scriptures. Mighty in the scriptures. That shows that he he had control and he could deliver it powerfully. He was a learned man. He was mighty in the scriptures. He had been, verse 25, instructed in the way of the Lord. The word for instructed is the word we get catechism from. And it refers to, the, that verb is normally used, of people, new converts, being trained in the faith, or candidates for baptism going through well, what we used to call the pre-communion class in Presbyterianism, that was much more developed in the ancient church, where they were, the technical term is, catechized. And here it says, he was catechized. He was instructed in the way of the Lord. And the way, of course, refers to the Christian manner of life. The way was a technical term. Paul received letters from the authorities in Jerusalem to go to Damascus and persecute those of the way. That's what the, the Christian Christians and their lifestyle, how they're described in the book of Acts. He and he taught about Jesus accurately. He knew the gospel stories well. The gospels weren't the first things that were written. The letters were written before the gospels were. But the gospels were written so that second generation Christians could have a record of the life, the teaching, 
the ministry of our Lord. The first generation Christians didn't need it. They had been with Jesus. And he was well versed in the, 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 in the Lord. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but there was something that he, he spoke accurately, but there were some things that were uh, missing in his teaching. We don't know what it was. Uh, and uh, Priscilla and Aquila, rather than getting up and saying, we thank our brother, but he's deficient in X, Y, and Z, they said, come along and have coffee with us at home. So they brought him home and they brought out the scriptures and they explained more, more accurately. Uh, it, it's interesting the way Luke puts it. Uh, Paul preached accurately and Priscilla and Aquila instructed him more accurately. There's a pun there in the way they describe it. He hadn't been baptized. He only knew the baptism of John the Baptist. But that's a bit odd, isn't it? And it gets odder when we get into chapter 19. And that brings us to the third group. And I've only, I've only got three groups. To the third group whom I'm calling the About Twelve Disciples. I'm calling them the About Twelve because uh, in chapter 19 and verse 7, Luke tells us there were about twelve men in all. Now, why does he talk about about twelve? Well, maybe, well, it seems there were twelve of them because he could count them. Uh, but he didn't want people to think, 12 disciples? Ah, is this the new Israel? Is there something significant in the number 12? You know the way some Bible scholars, they look at all the numbers and do all the sums and can come up with wonderful things. He was saying, no, no, there's nothing significant. There were 12 of them, but let's say about 12, so nobody gets caught up on the number 12 and the new Israel and all of them. The about twelve, right? Uh, so uh, uh, Apollos went off to Corinth, and that's when he was in Corinth. Uh, his preaching was so powerful, his learning was so profound that a group of disciples in Corinth gathered around him, and then you started to get the divisions in Corinth, which we know all about. Some said, I'm of Paul, I'm of Paulus, I'm of Silas, I'm of Christ. You know the passage. Now, it's interesting to note, Paul never criticizes Apollos for setting up a faction. He says, Apollos is a I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. He's my fellow worker. He sees Apollos as a colleague. So that Apollos probably was very embarrassed with the so-called Apollos party in Corinth. He didn't like it. And he was, later on we read, he was invited to go back by Paul. 
We wanted them to go back to Corinth. And he said, uh, no thank you. No thank you. Presbyterianism has some conventions. One is that when a minister uh, leaves a congregation and a new minister is called and comes, Morris can confirm this, uh, you invite the former minister who always sends a, a letter thanking the congregation for the kind invitation, regretting that he can't be present and wishing the new minister well. That happened in yeah, That's the way we do it. Why? Well, for one very good reason. We don't want the old minister there when the new minister comes. Why? Because that, has, that, that will divide people's attention. We're focusing on the new minister and the new ministry, thanking God for the old. But some people occasionally break the convention. And if I'm about, I know about it. They know how I feel about that. It's a good, it's not a rule, it's not a law, law it's never written down. But you don't go back for quite some time. And uh, Apollos made a good Presbyterian because he didn't go back, even though Paul thought it would be useful. Good practical things, if you use your imagination, come out of the word. Why not? Uh, the about twelve. Yep. They came and they're very unusual. They're called disciples. When he was, uh, Apollos went to Corinth and Paul came back. Uh, the second part, the, the final bit of verse 1, in Ephesus he found some disciples and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now that's a very odd question to ask. Disciples. And this is a strange passage. And I have three questions. You'll give me another five minutes, will you? Well, you're, you're going to get it anyway. Because this is good stuff too. This is a cracker. Uh, he, he, he asked three questions. Were they Christians or were they not? Okay. Were they Christians or were they not? That was the first uh, question. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when or it could be after you believed? Now, I want you to turn to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, just before the end of John chapter 2, verse 23. Now, while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover, Many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them. Now, let's get the, the play on words uh, of John's Gospel. Uh, many people, let me trans translate, believed as trusted in. Okay, same thing. Uh, many people 
trusted in Jesus, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them. They trusted in him, but he didn't trust in them. And John goes on, why? For he knew all men. He didn't need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. So they, their faith was inadequate. It wasn't saving faith. It might have been uh, believing that rather than believing in. Remember, was it la last Sunday or the Sunday before? It was the Sunday before when in James, James wrote to them and said, you believe that there is one God? Big deal. The demons believe and tremble. They believed, but it didn't affect their life. They weren't believing in God. They believed that God was one. And in John chapter 2, people, when they saw the miraculous signs, believed, but Jesus didn't believe in them. It wasn't saving faith. And the interesting thing is, we begin the story of Nicodemus, chapter 3, verse 1. But let's begin the story of Nicodemus a little earlier. Jesus did many signs. They, many people believed in his name, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. There was a man of the Pharisees called Nicodemus. See the link? We shouldn't have a chapter division between two and three. And what John is saying is that proper faith leads to and is the, as a result of, we'll let the theologians argue about the order of that, of the new birth. Okay. So it is possible to have faith and to be believed, which is not saving faith because we're not committing our lives to Jesus. And these people, Paul said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, Holy Spirit? We haven't heard about the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit? See, verse, sound like Damien now. See, he <laughs> said, they answered, verse 2, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Right? So Paul said, what baptism did you receive? And they said, baptism? The baptism of John. Isn't that interesting? Apollos only knew the baptism of John. And these disciples only knew the baptism of John. That's the thing they have in common. But note the difference. There is no doubt that Apollos was a true believer, a Christian. He knew about Jesus. He was fervent in spirit. Uh, Aquila and Priscilla didn't say he didn't have faith. They just tried to fill out a few areas where his, his understanding was lacking. 
clearly the Holy Spirit was working in his life and later on in the end of chapter 18 when he went to Corinth he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ he may have only known the baptism of John but he was a disciple a minister of Jesus the about 12 they said uh, they didn't say they believed we're not told they knew anything about Jesus and they'd never heard of the Holy Spirit it looks very likely that they weren't Christians because what Paul did Paul said you need to be baptized were baptized he laid his hands on them they received the Holy Spirit and they spoke they, their eyes showed that clearly as they spoke in tongues and prophesied they were baptized Apollos wasn't why was Apollos not baptized he knew only the baptism of John. Well, because evidently he was a believer whom God was using. Probably a fair number of the disciples weren't baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus wasn't baptized. He only knew of John now the, the, the point that I think is well, that these kind of questions interest people like me and maybe Jeffrey I'm glad you know but, but what practical what practical effect has this alright say 59 revival at 1859 a lot of people came into the church some from a Catholic background not many but a significant number and the question was we're delighted that they're converted we're delighted that they're coming into our fellowship do we baptize them or not now no problem for the Baptists they haven't been done properly so they have to be done right way oh, 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 oh. okay but what about uh, infant Baptists like the Presbyterians some said well theologically there's only one baptism and they baptize in the Trinitarian formula so we must accept their baptism others said well I know that's right but they've come out of darkness in the light you know stuff and they need to be rebaptized the official standard of the church which may be uh, observed uh, more in denial than acceptance is that we don't re-baptize people who have been baptized have received Christian baptism but that's, that's uh, a debate and some groups what's the criterion well, according to this 
criterion is is the Holy Spirit working in the life of that person. Now, I never thought when when I started to look at this text that that's what I'd be saying. And that's To look at. And that brings me to the final point, and I'm stopping two minutes. And it's this. It shows that this passage has nothing to do with what me and other people steamed up when I was a student 50 years ago in the early 60s. When there were when charismatic movement was really beginning, and the teaching was among some people that had to have a post-conversion experience of the Spirit. And to prove that, this passage was quoted. I don't think we could... This passage doesn't answer that question. And I don't have the time to answer that question tonight. If you look at Acts, you find sometimes the Holy Spirit came before they were baptized, like Cornelius. Holy Spirit didn't wait for Peter to issue his appeal when he was uh, preaching to Cornelius and his friends. Remember the Spirit fell upon them and then they said, hey, the Spirit's here, so we've got to baptize. On other occasions, the Spirit came as they were baptized, and on other occasions, the Spirit came after they were baptized. So we can't get a strict uh, chronology or whatever of this. The, the spirit is far too flexible for any one of What is the Lord saying to us? Is he, is he speaking to us through Priscilla and Aquila and the way they use their home, the way they use their resources the way they were willing to sacrifice and risk their neck for other believers? Is he speaking to us through Paulus? Is he speaking to us through Paul and his... certainly wasn't a sedentary lifestyle traveling around. What is the Lord saying to us? He says... Think about that as a rough is taken up. And we say the grace. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore.